Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Ah. The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car-selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Hi there, I'm Lauren McGoodwin, founder and CEO of Career Contessa, and you're listening to the Females Podcast Summer School Edition. This season, we're heading back to school, career school that is, with experts here to teach us the ins and outs of specific topics. Today's teacher is Dr. Sasha Heinz, a recovering perfectionist turned positive psychologist who has studied under the best of the best like Angela Duckworth, Barry Schwartz, and more while she poured herself into the science of well-being, behavioral change, and optimal human functioning. Specifically, Dr. Sasha is really good at helping women get out of that perfection trap. To perfectionists, good enough is a failure. And what do perfectionists do to chase perfection? They set big, shiny new goals like a junkie chasing their next fix. And a new season, (laughs) summer, is the ultimate goal-setting junkies bender, according to Dr. Sasha. The best summer ever. The best me ever. The summer that looks just like my vision board. But glossy, airbrush images quickly turn into gritty and hard reality. And only a few months in, if you're lucky, your best summer ever becomes, well, just another summer. So what's a perfectionist to do? Not have any goals? I don't think so. And that's why we're here to explore what Dr. Sasha has to say on how to set goals as a perfectionist. And because we're here for that real talk advice, be sure to stick around till after Dr. Sasha's teachable moment, because we'll be answering your listener questions, starting with what to do when you're constantly interrupted by your coworker. You can submit your career questions for us to answer on future episodes by leaving us a voicemail at 844-FEMALES. And now, this is the Females Summer School Edition. Hi, Dr. Sasha. Thanks for joining us today. I want to start with an overview of setting goals and the goal-setting theory and just really defining perfectionists. Since we're going to get into this heavy topic, we might as well start with sort of the basics. Yeah. Well, I know, lo and behold, there is actually something called goal setting theory. It, I will go through it really quickly, but you know, it sounds kind of ho hum to people now because we are all kind of as a culture obsessed with goals, setting goals, how to set goals. But you know, you roll back the clock like 30 years ago, this is all very, very new. Right. But the sort of you know, five principles, the two main researchers in this field, and they're the OGs of the of goal setting theory is Locke and Latham. And they did tons of research on, 
you know, looking at goal attainment and, you know, who was successful, who wasn't, what's a good goal. I mean, all sorts of stuff anyhow, but what they really came up with was there are sort of five principles. So a goal should have clarity. So you know exactly what the outcome is that you're trying to achieve. It should be challenging. So a good goal is challenging. It should really stretch you. It makes it actually more motivating for it to be challenging. So sometimes we think like, and we'll talk about this later when you make the goal smaller, but challenging goals can be really motivating. Commitment, obviously, right? You're committed to it. You have a plan of commitment. And the fourth principle is feedback. You're getting feedback in some way. So whether that's you're getting feedback from another person or you're getting feedback from, you know, an app you're using or a tracker, like you're looking at how am I doing in relation to how I was doing yesterday. And the fifth principle of of setting a good goal is task complexity. So you are managing like how difficult the actual task is versus what your skills are. Mm, that's so interesting. And I, I was always taught to set SMART goals, which, you know, that acronym is um, SMART is uh, specific, measurable, attainable, realistic, and timely. So mm-hmm. is this like, are people just taking that theory and then putting their own spin on it? Like with, you know, SMART goals, for example, which I think is a, people are probably familiar with that. Pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's like essentially smart. And there's very different, there's a lot of different versions of the smart goal setting approach, but yes, it's essentially doing, you know, they're doing that. They're taking these kind of general principles and applying that to like putting a cute spin on it. Mm -hmm. And let's talk about who sets goals because, you know, we're here to have you answer goal setting for perfectionists. And before we got on this call, we were talking about, well, the people who traditionally are obsessed with setting goals are people who are high, high achievers and perfectionists. So like, let's define that. Like who, what does that mean? And, and kind of how that, re- I guess, plays into goal setting. Everybody's goal setter. Every human being sets goals every single day. Getting out of bed is the goal. Brushing your teeth is a goal. G- getting your breakfast is a goal, right? Every single thing that we do to some extent is a goal. So we're goal-directed organisms. And I think that's a really important thing to remember about being a human being. Right. <laughs> but we do that kind of unconsciously and in- inadvertently. So goal setters who are deliberately setting goals and are doing it more on purpose. Yeah, they tend to be more high achieving and in in fact also tend to have higher well-being too. Interesting. Are they, this is probably not true, but are they usually women? Because <laughs> I feel like women really love goals and to-do lists and there's a lot of us that consider ourselves perfectionists, which is probably something we're working on. So mm-hmm. does that have any, like, does DNA run into this at all? I don't know. I think that, I think men are also goal setters. I think it shows up differently, the kinds of goals that we set. And also I think the standard of um, what goal achievement looks like is can also be different. I think that men, I mean, this is a gross generalization and I am not pulling from any specific research. So I'll give you that caveat, but (laughs) I think in general, my observations are that men are far more willing to just turn in like a B minus effort or a B effort and be like, Oh, let's just get it done. Right. And I think, you know, women are more likely to, are are more apt to want to turn in the A plus work. Mm -hmm. So let's, yeah, I mean, I definitely, I, I always felt too, like, 
in school, the guys would like not take any notes and then they'd get the A on the, on the test and you would like, I would take all the notes and I'd be like, how, how did you, how did you like not pay attention? And you still got the A on the test where, you know, I wrote literally every word down. Um, but that's, that's another topic for another day. I want to also just kind of further, cause this is goal setting for a perfectionist. So the, is there, is it more challenging for perfectionists to set goals versus if you're not a perfectionist? I mean, why are we like kind of calling them out in this goal setting? Oh, well definitely. Yes. Because here's the thing. The only thing that perfectionists do perfectly is put things off. So perfectionists, and I, again, I, I do think that there's a gender difference with regard to this is perfectionists are terrified of being judged judged externally and also judged from by them, you know, internally, right? Like judging themselves. So I think that there's like, there's specific things that you have to overcome to be willing to get the ball over the finish line for people who have this tendency to judge themselves extremely harshly, right? To have such a high standard of, you know, it has to be this good to be able to, like, it doesn't count if it isn't that good you know, then it makes it hard. What it doesn't make, you know, perfectionists are great starters and hard, they're not great finishers. Interesting. I'm surprised by that. Cause I would think like part of the perfectionism is that they have to finish. Um, well, if you are, you know, if it has to be perfect in order um, to do so, mm-hmm. it's like, it can be put off indefinitely, right? Like, you know, if you're on a diet and you have a day where you, it just like, you just don't stick to it, right? You just, things blow up it's very easy to be like, well, it wasn't perfect then like, right. Then, as then well, the whole day as well gone. give up. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Right. And I think what happens is like, you know, there's sort of almost like, um, you're using like we call it buffering, but like, or, you know, emotional Novocaine, like something that takes the edge off the bad feeling. Like you feel so disappointed and you're like, it didn't, it, you didn't do it properly or correctly. And so then you're like, well, I'll then set another goal. Right. Set a new goal. I'm going to set a new shiny new goal that I'm going to do perfectly this time. Right. I, um, someone was talking to me the other day and they were saying that they, she thinks she's addicted to launching things. Like she's always launching something or, you know, whenever you talk to her, she's always working on something new. And she's like, I think I'm just addicted to this, like setting essentially what you just said is like setting mm-hmm. a new goal or like launching a new thing, which I don't know if there's like a real addiction to that, but I understand what she was saying is like, there's this real feeling of like, always got to have something new or be doing something else. Right. I mean, like I think about it, you know, it's when you were in school and you have like the beginning of the semester and like the notebooks are so they yeah. smell delightful <laughs> and you like go to Staples and it's so exciting and yep. everything's so neat and organized. And you're like, this is the semester I'm going to nail, <laughs> yeah, right? Everything's totally. going to be awesome. Yep. And then two weeks into the semester, you're like, oh my gosh, I'm behind on my reading and I haven't gotten this thing done and whatever, right? And it's easy to let it all kind of, you're like, oh, it's not working. Mm-hmm. And I think it's really important to, to distinguish like, when someone's a, perf- being a perfectionist is not a badge you should be burnishing. Like you, this is not, an, it's not a wonderful thing. There's a very big difference between being a perfectionist and being someone who cares about excellence and has high standards for themselves different. Yeah. How can you see that in real life? I guess like, you know, let's put this into the office setting, the perfectionist versus the person who has, you know, high quality bar, like how do they operate differently? So the person who is a perfectionist doesn't want to get like, they'll put things off and avoid things because it's not like done. They they can't see their way to doing it the way they want to do it. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. So like they'll hem and haw over an email or a memo so they can get the perfect writing and they're going to take forever on doing it right. as opposed to the person's like, okay, I have a certain quality. I have a high standard and they're going to give themselves an allotted amount of time and there is, they're going to just get it done. Yeah. Yeah. Because they believe in the, like they have a high standard of quality, but they also know like when to cut it off and just send it. Well, and I think that's really important. That's part of the challenge, I think, of working with perfectionists too, is at some point we got to hit send. At some point we have to move on to the next project. So that's, I like that you were able to give us that example because I think people can definitely visualize that at work, either within themselves or maybe with people they work with. And I love that you call yourself a recovering perfectionist, which is- Oh my gosh. Which is great. It's like you can, you know, if you identify as some of this stuff, you can- fix it or I don't want to say fix it. I feel like that's like a bad like, I think I feel like my whole experience and this pride, like I was uh, as when I like get into that men- perfectionist mentality, I feel like I often like I win the battle, but I lose the war. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, <clears throat> like I'll write an amazing paragraph, but not finish the chapter. Yeah. Like that's what a perfectionist does. Mm-hmm. Right. So it's like, because it has to be, they want everything to be incredibly like impeccable or perfect and they'll obsess. I mean, it like creates kind of this like obsessive mentality about something. And so you're not really moving forward. You can often just get stuck. Mm-hmm. But you've been able to overcome that and, and move past it. Oh, I'm getting better at it. Yeah. Right. It's a work in progress. Yeah. Yeah. Like when, you know, the whole notion of just do something badly and just get it done. It was like, my brain could not compute that. It's like, what? What so do you mean? is one of the ways that you combat that by, you know, pushing yourself to make a mistake or, you know, for someone who's, you know, maybe thinking like, yeah, I think I, I definitely um, am more of a perfectionist. Like what's one thing they could do today to kind of help them move toward the, you know, recovering perfectionist vibe of stuff, I guess. Well, I mean, I think it just takes a lot of practice. Um, you know, you, you have to catch yourself in, I mean, I think that you really have to kind of like eavesdrop on your brain and what's going on in your head. Because normally when you're getting into that kind of grinding perfectionist thing, you you can feel the obsessiveness of it. It's like a dog with a bone, like you can't stop. So you can kind of, when you're eavesdropping in your brain, like what's going on here? You know, is this actually something, am I improving? Am I like, you know, am I trying to improve the last like 2% or is this like actually critical to it being readable or am I trying to like maximize the last 2% of it? Interesting. I love that. Right? Yeah. Or in making a decision, like, you know, I, I, a wonderful book to, to read for people who have this tendency is Barry Schwartz's book, The Paradox of Choice. It's such a great book because he really talks about the research of like, you, we, be, we get per- paralyzed when we have too many choices and this is like perfectionist nightmare, right? Like you have so many options and then you can't, you're, you know, you kind of get overwhelmed by it all and like, which is the right choice. So, you know, you actively give yourself three, three options or two options and that's it. And you're just going to choose the best of that, you know? And I, I was actually, I got married when I was going through my positive psychology degree, I got married right, right after. And so I made a deliberate decision to, get married in the winter Mm -hmm. so that there were only like three venues that could hold the wedding that we were having in the city that we got married in so that I didn't have to go look at 20 different options. It was like, there was only three places. Right. 
So then I just made the choice between three because I knew myself. I'm like, if I give myself 20 options, like I'm going to, I'm not going to be able to make a decision. <laughs> I'm going to make myself crazy. <laughs> right. Right. Interesting. Well, I, I want to talk about, you've got three tips on or three goal setting tips that you can further explain for us. And these relate to really goal setting. If you identify as a perfectionist and, and kind of someone who struggles to actually set and attain those goals. Right. Yeah. So, Oh, and one thing, sorry, mm -hmm. before I go into the, the, the tips, like one thing I think is really important when you're eavesdropping on yourself, the second you notice your thoughts are going to like, what are they going to think about this? They're not going to think this is good enough. I'm going to look stupid. This isn't smart enough. This idea isn't good enough. Like that is where you can tell you're slipping into this. When you're thinking like, is this based on my standard of excellence? Like, do I think this is good enough for me? Or is it based on like, worry that you're going to be judged by somebody else. Like, I think that that's really where you start to yeah. slip into it. Yeah. And it might be a good idea for people to like write on a post-it note what you, you know, the questions you just said, and then you can kind of filter yourself through that when you get exactly. to those places. Yeah. Right. No, I sort think of start to pay attention. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. We're big fans of telling people to keep work journals and it's because it's like, you know, paying attention to what's happening at work, your, your, you know, the compliments, the wins, maybe the areas where you, you know, were obviously needed to maybe improve on something. So it's kind of goes along the same vein of like paying mm -hmm. attention and, and tracking it. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think that like is, you know, it leads really into the first tip, which is I really encourage, especially my high achieving clients who I think have been on this kind of achievement treadmill and they're, have been very focused on the external achievements in their life, like they're hustling mm -hmm. for that worthy feeling of worthiness, that it's really important to set your values before you set your goals. So you want to make sure that, that you know who you want to be, like what, who, who is the, your valued self, like the way you want to be in the world, right? What does that person look like? What values does that person have? And then looking at like, what are you going after in terms of your goals? Like, does it align with who you really want to be? And sometimes you realize like you're just setting bad goals. And the reason you're having a hard time achieving it is because it doesn't really match up with who you want to be. Mm -hmm. Can you give me an example of, you know, maybe in, you don't have to name the, the client, but like an example of the values a person would set and then what goals they then set after that? Yeah. I mean, I think if there's a, if there's, you know, a goal that you're setting for to like, to look a certain way, right? Like you want to get a certain, you want to be promoted mm -hmm. and you realize like after you're, that it doesn't like align, like the job description of the promotion doesn't really align with who you are, but you want the promotion because you think the promotion is a good thing and you should do it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, like you think society will say, oh, they're more important exactly. because they got promoted. Of course. But you're, you're like, the title is really what I, I'm supposed to want the bigger, better title, right? Right. But you realize like the, the actual work involved in that job may not be in alignment with the, your best self, like the really the way you work best or the way you like to be or the way you like to interact with people. Mm -hmm. So like maybe your value system is where it's like you really value being an independent contributor and not yes. having the stress of managing another person or something like that. So, yes. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. Like, so like if autonomy is one of your top values, like you... <laughs> It's autonomy and independence and then you're, you know, but you're going for like um, being the manager, managing a team, like 
that's, you're not going to like it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> that's not going to go well for you. Yeah. So, so tip number one is set your values first before mm-hmm. you set goals. It's interesting you have it like that too, because um, we obviously give a lot of job search advice and I always tell people, and we even have a, a free worksheet on Career Contessa where people can, can fill this out. But I'm always like, you need to understand what are your career ideals? And really it's your career values. You know, like what do you yeah. value in your career? And I tell people, I'm like, think of everything and anything. Maybe you value having a 10 minute commute. Like, you know, don't downplay the fact that the 10 minute commute really is something you really love. And so therefore, you know, you, you only look at companies that worth are within a certain range or you think about, you know, the point being is like, sometimes people don't ever think about that. They just apply to the job title, you know, and it's, it, there's all the dots in between are not connected. Absolutely. Or they take a job, you know, that's, that's requires like a commute away to another city or a lot of travel. Mm-hmm. And one of their values is, you know, one of their top values is connecting, like connecting with family and friends. And then all of a sudden, you know, months down the road, it's like, why isn't this working? Well, yeah. Yeah. Right. There's, there's a big disconnect. Right. Okay. So tip number two is be imperfect on purpose. What's that about? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think that the, the important thing is, it's cool to want to be great and excellent at something, but being great at excellent at something means that you're probably going to stink at something else, right? So if you, you know, if I'm like going through an intense time where I'm like writing a lot or whatever, like there's just stuff that's going to fall through the cracks. And that might be like, I am not, you know, creating the like most holly jolly like Christmas decorations or, um, I'm not the mom who's bringing in the, you know, most amazing baked goods for the Valentine's day party or whatever it is. Right. Or like my garden is, looks like great gardens. I don't know. Right. Like that's the stuff that falls through for me. And, but it's like, I could feel bad about that and feel that I'm not perfect on all counts. Or I could just decide like, yep, it's going to, I'm going to stink at that. I'm not going to be, I'm not going to crush it. (laughs) So instead of it like kind of naturally not being perfect, it's like making the conscious decision to make sure that that thing is not perfect. Right. Like I, I remember reading somewhere that Shonda Rhimes, like when she was really digging into her work on a show, like she just knew that she wasn't going to exercise as much. And that was just the deal. She just decided that. Right. Right. Yeah. There's, there's probably a like, I mean, I, I think also knowing that it's just one less thing to try to work into your day, there's almost like a relief that comes with that too. You're like, oh, well, good. I've already, and it's not because you have or you haven't, but you've mentally made space to know that you don't have to worry about that. Exactly right. Like you've just taken it completely off your plate, right? So, and and then, right, and it can be like a funny thing and it's not, you know, you're just like, I'm just going to bomb. I'm just mm-hmm. not going to be good at that. And that's okay. Right. We had Reshma Sajani on the podcast last season. She wrote a book, Brave Not Perfect. And her thing is send an email with a typo, you know? And I I was at this dinner where she said that and literally one of the women's goes, what? She's like, I could never. She's like, do it. Just do it. Just try being, and it was kind of what you're saying is like be imperfect on purpose, you know, and you'll see the world does not fall apart around you. Right. And that's what I'm saying. Like, you just have to practice it. Like the the unfortunate thing for everyone is like, you have to go through that initial, like, Oh my God, because you just have to practice doing it. You have to have, you have to start to accumulate evidence that the world, like everything isn't going to fall apart and everyone's not going to come down on you. And there's not going to be people picketing your door telling you that you're terrible. If 
you know, there's a few mistakes. Mm -hmm. So let's talk about number three, which is be flexible, shrink the goal, expand the timeline. Right. So I actually love this. So I think if you, you set a big goal, right? The challenging goal matters. You want to set, you really want to set challenging goals. They're more motivating. You get a bigger bang for your buck with a challenging goal. However, right. When you start not when, you know, you're falling behind or it's not going the way that you want to, you know, it's, you're like not making as much progress as you want to make, or you feel like you kind of blew it or whatever. You can then just decide like, oh, I'm going to take twice as long to get this done. I'm going to just double the timeline or I'm going to allow, you know, like some, I'm going to write less or I'm going to do something less and that's okay. Like as long as you're moving forward. Right. So you can either shrink the goal or expand the timeline. Exactly. You can like make the goal. I mean, the, the easiest example, though it's not career related, is weight loss. Like if you're trying to lose 20 pounds, you are, you know, you get to 10, you can either say like, screw it, it's not working, it doesn't work, and then just gain the 10 pounds back and just give it all up. Or you can be like, you know what? I lost 10 pounds. It's pretty awesome. Right, right. Right. And be thrilled about the, the smaller accomplishment. Why? Because if you're thrilled about the smaller accomplishment and you don't sit there beating yourself up about it, you're far more likely to go after the last 10 pounds, right? So if you're, you know, writing, doing a presentation and you don't like, you're not as far along as you wanted to be, or maybe the, you know, it's not as like the graphics aren't as elaborate as you wanted them to be, then that's okay. You write, instead of beating yourself up about it, you can be like, okay, I'm the, the goal is shrunk. Like it's not as maybe amazing as I anticipated it, but I'm going to continue to do that for the next one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What I really like about your advice too, is that, it, the, it's almost like, you know, you get credit for doing it well, but you really get credit for doing it well and getting it done. So whatever level also you need to operate at so that you, you know, your quality bar is set at a, you know, high enough that it, you, you're doing great work, but also like you get points for getting it done. And that's really, really important. And I think, um, especially for work, cause it's like, you know, if you're building, you know, helping build out a certain part of your company's website, you can't work on that for 10 years. Like they're going to, they're going to tell you like, Hey, we need this sooner rather than later. And that's sort of how real life works too. I mean, I, that's what I like about your overall advice. Right. I mean, like that's, I think that's, as I said, like the perfectionist we in quotations, right? Like it's, it's really not, it's nothing, it's not, we shouldn't be so proud of being a perfectionist. I mean, I think we can sometimes be like, well, I'm just a perfectionist. But what that really just means is like you're the person who's going to hold on to something longer and not turn it in because you're like trying to, you know, you're obsessing over the placement of like a period, you know, like you're, you're kind of hyper focused on something in a way that isn't really helping you move the ball forward. So, you know, I think, and there, there is, there's, there's good research on, I love, there's a book that's really wonderful by John Acuff and he talks about, he did a study with people where, um, he's not a psychologist, but it was a layman study, but an interesting one nonetheless, where he did, um, you know, a 30 day program with people and halfway through, he asked them to shrink the goal and the people that shrunk the goal and it ended up being the ones that were the, you know, accomplished the most. Right. Right. Cause it gave them that feeling of winning, right? Like I'm, I'm accomplishing something I'm winning and they didn't feel defeated. And I think the, the biggest 
like the biggest danger, you know, the biggest obstacle is that feeling of defeat or hopelessness, like, ugh, I'm not getting it, or it's not, I'm not moving fast enough, or it's not working, um, or I didn't do it exactly the, like, it didn't go exactly the way I wanted, so I just should throw in the towel. Right. It's, uh, it's literally less is more a mentality. Yeah, very mm-hmm. much. Mm-hmm. Well, Dr. Sasha, this has been wonderful advice. I think it's really great to get the tips on how to set goals effectively because a lot of us are goal setters and we certainly want to set ourselves up for success. If people have more questions or they want to stalk you on the internet, where, where can they find you? Um, and, and you know, you can let us know your website and things like that. Come hang out with me on Instagram. I am Facebook phobic, so I'm not on Facebook, but I'm on Instagram um, at at Dr. Sasha Hines, and then on my website, drsashahines.com. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much for joining us. So much fun. Hey there, let's take a quick break to talk about today's sponsor, Elizabeth and Clark. Is your workwear a magnet for messes? Are your blazers too boxy? Have you spent half your paycheck on one blouse just to ruin it later with salad dressing that hits while you're rushing to eat? Or maybe that big presentation left you with all the sweat stains. Hey, we've all been there before. The struggle is real, but it doesn't have to be anymore. Let me introduce you to Unstainable Workwear Collection by Elizabeth and Clark. The Unstainable Workwear Collection combines fashion and function to give you polished workwear at prices you can actually afford and will look forward to wearing. Unstainable fabric technology works to protect you against loose coffee cup lids and their sweat-proof linings work to keep you dry, which is especially timely considering that summer is on its way and finding clothes that you can wear on your hot commute and in that freezing office air conditioning is always challenging. Elizabeth and Clark has invented the dream, a white shirt that you cannot stain. Yes, it's real, and I'm wearing their Archer shirt today, which I've already put to the stain test. Plus, even when it's time to clean my shirt, I can avoid dry cleaning costs because all Elizabeth and Clark workwear is washer dryer safe. When looking for great work clothes, I also prioritize clothes that I can wear outside of work because we all know that your workday typically extends way beyond your nine to five. Elizabeth and Clark knows that too. Each piece in their collection is conceptualized, designed, fitted, refitted, and stain resisted, and produced with high quality fabrics and sleek styles that work from boardrooms and baby showers to date nights and dance recitals. Clearly, I'm a huge fan because they have really changed the way I feel about work clothes, and I'm confident Elizabeth and Clark will do the same for you. Get started with 10% off your first unstainable order using the promo code FEMALES10 at checkout on unstainable.com. That's unstainable.com and it's females, F-E-M-A-I-L-S 10 at checkout after you add some great items to your cart. All right, let's get back to the show. All right, it's that time in the show when we hear real voicemails left by you, our dear listeners, and do our best to give you some real talk career advice. And to help, I've invited Kayleen Cajas, our content director at Career Contessa, to give her two cents. So welcome back, Kayleen. Hi, everyone. It's great to be here. So today's voicemail is all about what to do when you're constantly interrupted by a coworker. Let's listen in. Hi, my name is Liz, and I work at a startup, which means it's a pretty small office space. 
I happen to have a coworker that drives me bonkers. I have tried putting my headphones on. I've tried keeping my head down to do my work, but they do not stop talking. Is there any way I can deal with this in a tactful way? Thanks. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> so good. I've I've had a lot of people, even if you don't work at a startup, have dealt with this. Yes. Sounds like you have a couple of awkward conversations ahead of you. Yeah. So where should we start, Killing? Boy, I think that... I mean, start feeling optimistic. Start with letting her know that when I put my headphones on, I really am in the midst of some deep work and I really don't want to be bothered. Hopefully, maybe just saying that one sentence will uh, solve your problem. But if it doesn't, uh, well, yeah. I don't know. I mean, I definitely think having that conversation up front, like, yeah. hey, you know, I I really enjoy chatting with you. We always have a lot of fun. But when I have my headphones on, it's it's usually because I'm – you know, actively working on something that requires a lot of like deep thought or I'm up against a timeline. The other thing that I've heard advice around before is putting a sign on the back of your chair. And I know it sounds really cheesy. And in order to not be the cheesy person in the (laughs) office doing that, or even like coming across a little passive aggressive, probably what I would do is bring it up in a team meeting. Like, hey, what does everybody think about, you know, when you're deep in you know, work and you don't want to be interrupted. What about like us, you know, creating little signs that we can hang over the back of our chair that just says like in deep work, uh, email me and I'll get back to you or something. It's, it reminds me of like, you know, the sign when people are like out to lunch, I'll be back in an hour. <laughs> but I feel like if you bring it up before you just start doing it, that might help with that awkwardness too. But I, I mean, I, I, when you have that physical sign up, it also would require the person to basically ignore the sign to interrupt you. <laughs> That seems pretty gutsy, right? It does. It does. I know um, a lot of computer programmers will do that. They'll put the sign on their back just being like, if I'm... Like, don't. Don't. Just don't. (laughs) You have a sign that says, just don't. Please do not. Another piece of advice I would have is like, if if you do work on the same team, if this person is kind of interrupting you for, you know, legitimate reasons, like she needs help with this or that, because, because you are working on the same project, maybe it would be nice to set up like a, either a daily or a weekly catch up, maybe just like 10 minutes where you say, all right, what, what do you need from me today? Or, you know, if you need help on this, let's make time, dedicated time to do it later. So it's really carving out specific times so that these interruptions aren't happening that you know, that you know, actually, essentially that you've scheduled an interruption for yourself. Right. And that's if the person is on your team. If this person is just interrupting you to talk about, you know, how our dog got stitches, then yeah. Uh, the workday is not the best place for that. And that's where I think if it's someone that's just interrupting you for the sake of interrupting because they're bored with their work and just want to chat about their boyfriend or cupcakes, then uh, then I think you have to have more of a... Then you, you know, have to go back to the first steps we said, which is like <laughs> have that initial conversation, use the sign. I also think if someone, if you, I mean, she said this is a small office so maybe she doesn't have the ability to do it, but like if somebody is really distracting and like you've tried all these things and they're not getting it, you could also ask your manager like, hey, can I just move to the other side? But make it so that your manager is the one being like, I need you guys or I need to move shift the yeah. thing the room around. So that, I, I don't know. That might come off as like, <laughs> you know, you're like telling on the parent like, hey, move me out of the room. But some people really lack self-awareness of the headphone thing, you know, Um I know also at Career Contessa, we use Slack and they have these status updates that you can put on there. And I love that. So I actually utilize the the status update a lot to say, 
you know, working on XYZ project or, you know, they, I think that they even have one that defaults to like do not disturb for an hour or something like that. So you could also kind of hit this idea through like the digital way too. Do we think that if you have an up, uh, a status on Slack that it's okay to Slack and that that can uh, maybe, but later? you can you can turn off notifications oh, so you too. Can fully, yeah, you can fully pause it. I mean, you would have to, you know, that requires just your own discipline to not like go into Slack and your email and all that. But um, and just to to go back to your point, if you have a coworker who's constantly talking to you, like, and some people love sharing their whole personal life, and like maybe you're not comfortable sharing that. That's also something you could mention to the person you're one on one. I I think over communication doesn't hurt here. Yeah, I mean, and it should be ideally. It's usually one conversation, like a two minute conversation, where you're like, listen. I really need to get this work done, and 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 these these are also like my most productive hours. So if you could, yeah, step away or just save it, or maybe send me an email that I can look back to later. Yeah. Um, what about though? If because I'm thinking about like if I did this, for example, if I did this to somebody and I had that conversation, what if they then take it to the extreme and they're like, okay, I can never talk to Lauren ever again. Like it changes our whole relationship. So, I mean, any tips for that? Yeah, I, I think in, in those cases, then it's it's best to say, you know, again, going back to our first tip, basically, if my headphones are on or the sign's on, respectfully, please let me do my work. And otherwise, we can catch up later. Yeah, maybe you making the effort to be like, mm-hmm. hey, do you want to go grab a coffee? Or yeah. hey, do you want to do this? So they don't feel like you hate them or something. Because yeah. I, I do feel like this could get turned into like, so-and-so just doesn't like me. You know, you someone could make up this big storyline in their head pretty quickly. Well, that's that's a tough one, but I, I also think that's probably a pretty popular question. Like people are probably wondering, like, how can I get this person and just let me do my thing for a little bit? I also think it's just it's it, it's awkward to have those conversations, but usually when you when you just do it and say, listen, like most people are going to be pretty receptive and respectful, like, yeah. and you would only have to say it once. It's it's when you have to say it more than once that that's when you get into tricky territory. But I think I would imagine like eight times out of 10. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) If you say it once, people will go, oh, you know. Right. Well, so just to recap, conversation, (laughs) sign on your chair that maybe you introduce to the whole team so they don't think that you're just being like weird about putting a sign on the back of your door. And then worst case scenario, oh, and then setting up one-on-one time to actually catch Mm -hmm. up with them. Um, I think that's all really great. Well, thank you for listening to this episode of The Females. If you want to leave us a voicemail, we'd absolutely love that. Just call us at 844-FEMALES. Again, 844-FEMALES, or that's 844-336-2457. We'll be back next Tuesday with Ashley Graber and Shira Myro to discuss mindfulness in the workplace. But until then, you can follow us on at CareerContest on Instagram, share this episode with your work wives, on an Instagram community with hashtag the females podcast and listen to this sneak peek of next week's episode. You know, the research that's been done, you know, does show that people need to meditate regularly and they do need to do mindful practice regularly. And to me, what I see with my clients and what I see in companies is that the consistency is way more important than the amount of time that they do it. But if they do something consistently, that they will see changes.